You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, we're in a, in a series in 1 John 3, and we kind of, the, the song that we sang about a minute ago really is a great segue because we sang about the incredible love that God has for us. That uh, when you think about the, the Christian faith, when you think about what God has done and about the very core essence of it, there's a lot of things that we could kick around. And uh, maybe in your life group, you'll kick around some of those other things as well this week when you get together and study that and talk about those things. But, but if you really break it all down at the very center of what the Christian faith is all about is love. The fact that God loved this world, that he sent his only son, Jesus, to save us, and he changes our life. And in turn, he says, you will reflect my love back to me, if you will. God loves us and his love comes into our soul. And we in turn, as a result, we love him as a response to that, as a worship response to him. And then he tells us to go and love others around us. So at the very Christian core, top to bottom, in, at the very center of it, if you will, is this motivation of love. And so what that means is, is that the Christian faith at its very heart is all about relationships. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with one another. And so when we hit 1 John 3, John the apostle is writing to us about the importance of love in our life, not so much in loving God. He's already talked some about that, but he's really gonna talk to us today about loving one another and especially as fellow Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So as a church, we're about, you know, that life change, helping people take that next step in experiencing life change and knowing Christ. And when we come to know him, there's three areas that he changes us. And I don't often refer to this, but this is kind of the, at the core, if you will, or at the center of the strategy of what we're all about. God commands us in three areas of our life. He says, love me, which we say is loving Christ. He tells us to have a special love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, the gathered assembly of, of God's children we call church. And then he also tells us that we, we should love our neighbors ourselves, that we should really love the world, and we call that the community. So this morning when we open John, 1 John 3, we're looking at the center one about how important is it the very center of our belief for us to truly love one another another. You see, it's not enough that we believe in God, that we believe in Jesus. We, wanna, we want to believe the Bible. We want to have that relationship with God, but we want to know it, but we also want to do it. And that's what John is talking to us today, the importance of what love needs to look like acted out in our lives. So read with me if you would. In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says this, starting in verse 11. John says, for this is a message that you have heard from the beginning. He says, guys, this is nothing new. From the very beginning of time, at the very core, this is what this message is. And here it is, that we should love one another. God didn't wake up one day and say, oh, 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 new rules. I need to change this. I need to tweak it a little bit. From the very beginning, God has made us relational beings to experience his love and to in turn share that love with one another. It's at the very core of our message, of his message, the very core of our faith. He says in verse 12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Third story in all the Bible, turn to Genesis, those first few chapters, and you read the story about how Cain was jealous. God had commanded Cain and Abel to make 
offerings to God to worship him and to be a sacrifice, really to be a blood sacrifice. God accepted Abel's, he rejected Cain's, and Cain's was rejected because it was a sacrifice according to what he wanted, not according to what God wanted. He brought of the fruit of the ground, the Bible says, and as a result, Cain got jealous, got angry, and he went on a walk with his brother one day, and he killed him, absolutely killed him. 25% of the population of the earth died in that day, one out of four, killed his own brother. Goes on in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know this? Because we love the brothers. We love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the, those who have been adopted into God's family together, who are followers. We love him, and that's evidence of our salvation, of our faith, and of our life that God has put inside of us. He says, whoever does not abide, does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Pray with me, would you? Father, I pray that you would take these truths. They are so simple to read, and they're fairly easy to get our mind wrapped around. But Lord, they need to be more than just in our mind and our heart, as we'll see in just a few minutes, that they need to be something that's actionable, something that's real, and something that is deeply sacrificial for one another. Lord, wherever each one of us are today in our life, I pray that you would speak your truth into our soul deeply. You made the first step to send your son Jesus to sacrifice out of love for us, that we might be saved and forgiven, have a relationship with you, and everyone whom you adopt, you expect to turn and do the same thing. Father, help us to see that clearly and to take steps, I pray, in obedience to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you the importance of love that really is at the very center of our faith this morning. Three things that we're going to talk about. It's fitting. We don't truly plan these things out well. In fact, because of Kids' Day, we delayed our, our uh, communion, our Lord's Supper, one week to this week. And, uh, but it's so fitting for us to talk about love because as we share in a few minutes of the communion, the Lord's Table, it's us communing together fellowshipping and in community, if you will, and it's an expression of that love, that care that we have for one another. We, we share in the same body together of Christ. And so before we do that, I want to share with you the importance about that love really is at the center of all that we should be doing and should be being. So the first thing that I just read to you is I want you to notice that, that love is the mark of our salvation. It's the very mark. It's the awareness of just that is ours. It just might be like if you put your name in a book, that's your, that marks the book as yours. It's your name. And if you have a password on your phone, that in essence is your mark. It identifies it as yours. Love is the identifying mark that should be a part of our life when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And John says, look, this is nothing new, guys. This is from the very beginning. You should love one another. Have you ever noticed how often the Bible commands us to love? When you were growing up, did your parents have certain rules that they always had to keep reminding you of regularly, habitually, to the degree like, yes, mom, I wash behind my ears or whatever, you know, that is. Do you know why moms do that? Because the tendency for us is to not to do that. Moms never command us to do what we're already doing, right? Because if we were doing it, she wouldn't need to tell us to go do it. 
Go back and wash your hands. Okay, mom, I thought I could just eat my food without that. Why does the Bible always tell us to love one another? Because the tendency is for us to not love one another. The tendency is for a church to, to know each other at some level, to like each other okay at some level. For the most part, if there's not people in church you don't like, you leave and you go find another church. But the Bible tells us that that's really not enough, that we should get to the point where we deeply and abidingly have a committed love for one another. It's the very mark of our Christian faith. It tells us not to be like Cain. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. and says, don't be like Cain who rose up in hatred and anger and killed his brother out of jealousy, out of strife. Don't be like that. In fact, do the opposite. Truly, truly, deeply love one another. Do you know why Cain killed his brother? The Bible says his deeds were evil. He was sinful. His own deeds in verse 12 were evil, but his brothers were righteous. He had jealousy and anger in his heart, maybe bitterness, who knows what else, hatred certainly. But it tells us that whoever does this evil and doesn't love abides in death. You see, when God saves us and we surrender our life to Jesus, we move from abiding in death to abiding in life, to abiding in God. God moves us from darkness to light, from death to life. Cain killed Abel because Cain, in his own heart, was living and abiding in death. The reason murderers around and the reason is, is because of hatred and anger. And the reason hatred and anger is around because people are living in this realm of death. It's interesting. There were no, this is not as much a political statement. In fact, it's not really a political statement at all. It's a spiritual heartfelt statement. But to help us to realize and to not get lost in some of the political and social discussions to the day. But Cain didn't need an automatic weapon to kill his brother. You know, they could have come up with a new rule. Okay, we're banning all rocks. Rocks are not allowed anywhere. I, we don't know how he killed his brother. Did he choke him? You know, did he take a, a, a sharp stick? Um, truly not meant to be a political statement. It's meant to be this kind of statement. The reason that people kill is because they're biting and death in their heart is what Scripture says. The problem is in the heart. The heart's evil. I'm not talking about accidental uh, death. I'm not talking about any of those kinds of things. And absolutely, we need laws to govern all kinds of things, including our firearms. But what I want us to not miss this morning is, is that there are two different complete spheres of life. And if you claim the name of Jesus and have a relationship with the Son of God in heaven, God moves you from this realm of darkness and death. And He translates you, moves you to the realm of life and a realm of love. And that is the first and foremost, the mark of a Christian. Have you ever seen some of the drawings and artistry that's just so death-like and so dark? That's what's inside a person's heart of living in that, in that realm of death. And God says, guys, I have something completely different from you. You should not be living in that world. Your life should be completely different. I have different expectations for you. Live in life. Second thing I want you to notice, not only is love our mark as followers of Christ, the second thing that we need to know is, is that love has a very high measure. It's the measure of our salvation as well. Look at verse 16. By this we know love. It's easy today to say, oh, I love you. 
It's easy in a relationship to say that, to try to get something you want from the other person. But God says, here's the real measure of love. You really love someone if you do what Jesus did, that he laid down, in verse 16, his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The high watermark, if you will, of what love is all about is the cross of Jesus. The resurrection is the high watermark when it comes to the power of God, bringing back that which was dead to life, bringing that which was condemned because of all the sins of the world, no hope of any kind of deliverance. When God raised Jesus from the dead, it was the high watermark, God flexing His power, His greatness, His glory beyond everything else that He's ever done in this world, beyond creation, the creation miracle, beyond any other miracle that He could do. The resurrection is the high watermark with the power of God and deliverance over sin and over all of death and destruction. However, the high water mark for God's love is the cross, where Jesus was crucified, that He voluntarily laid down His life. He didn't owe you and I a thing. We didn't deserve it whatsoever, but God freely, sacrificially, Jesus Himself went to that cross, took upon Himself the condemnation that you and I had earned from our lying and stealing and cheating and all of the, the hurtful and hateful things that we have done and thought in our life, and He gave His life for our good, our benefit, not His benefit, for our benefit. And what we just read is, is that you and I are to turn around and to voluntarily do the exact same thing for one another. Notice that's indiscriminate. It's to, for the brothers, for brothers and sisters in Christ. Not for the two or three, not for the four or five maybe that we really connect with, that we really like and want to do something for, but indiscriminately. And especially for those that we're in community with or connected with and what we call church, that God calls us to deeply love one another in that world. Go on and look with me in verse 17. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart. I love that phrase, closes his heart against him. See, when you trust Christ, God opens the heart. Life and love flow naturally. And when we ignore the needs of others and don't love them, it closes our heart. So if anyone see, has the world's goods, has money, homes, whatever, food, etc., sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The answer is, it doesn't. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Talk is cheap, but in deed and in truth, the Bible says. I want you to notice that this love is a practical thing. It's not a, just an emotion. Love naturally brings emotions with it, and we all think about you know, a romantic kind of love, and that's a, an, a, an expression, it's an outpouring of that between a, a man and a woman, husband and wife, and, and that is something that is very real and abiding. But love also has a very practical, committed side to it, and the Bible says, Look, if we see someone that we call a fellow Christian, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, someone who's a part, if we will, in our church family, and we see they have a real need, but we don't genuinely help them practically with that, financially or what, whatever way. Maybe, maybe they're just stuff that they need to have help get done, that they're just stuck in the middle of it. Then our own salvation is actually questionable. 
Because it's natural. It's such a mark of our life and our Christian faith that this should just flow out of us. Do you think about breathing very much? Not unless you're sick, right? At least for most of us. It, you know, if you're thinking about your breathing, it's, it's because something's wrong. You know, I would imagine I've not had asthma. You, maybe you battle asthma, but I would imagine you're like, you know, there's times you're like, okay, make sure this is coming in and out. But you and I go to sleep without giving it a second thought. That's kind of what John is talking to us, that our love should be something that just flows out of us that we don't have to think about it. In fact, it's the opposite. We see somebody in need, we consciously close it up and say, oh, I'm not going to help them. Now, let's keep it real. Whenever we do that, we have a good reason in our mind that we're doing it, that we justify that. We justify our actions, right? We're really good at it. Well, I, 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 they shouldn't, they don't deserve it, this, I got to, I don't have time. God says, no, don't close your heart off, but practically give of yourself sacrificially. That's the part that we don't like because it means that we do that which is inconvenient and painful for us for the good and the benefit of the other guy. That's opposite of what the world says, right? That's why a minute ago I didn't share it, but that's why John tells us that don't be shocked when the world hates you. When you and I live in a realm of love, the world is not living in the realm of love. And when they look at that, they feel judged. They feel the evilness, and they, there's an anger in that. You see, that's why sometimes when you're around people and you're just living out your life and they just don't like you, sometimes it's not for who you are. It's because whose you are. Now, if you've been a jerk to them, okay, that's fair. They cannot like you because you've been a jerk, right? You deserve that. But if you really are acting in love, the Bible says that, that, the, that, um, that we love darkness when our sins are evil. We prefer that. And when the light of God's love comes into that world, People recoil, they can get angry at that, and they can hate that. So I want us to be honest and recognize that just because we're all to love one another doesn't mean the whole world is going to be happy with this scenario. When our mark is living that way, when that's what we're known by, so many churches today are known by other things, and we should be known by love, but even the world will begin to recoil, and not everyone in the world will like that. They will reject against that. But our love should be something that is automatic, that is practical, that is real to the point that we help people with whatever their needs are. I remember, this was a long, long time ago, Susan and I were just, uh, we were living in Bennington, uh, Vermont, and uh, we were just about to move. I was going to pastor a, another church uh, up in Potsdam, and uh, just quite a ways north of here. And there was a, an older woman that was in our church, and she was just, just dirt poor, okay? to the degree that she was having to rent her refrigerator. And it was one of those, you know, there's, there's a company, I won't name the names, but you know, you can rent a stereo and a couch if you don't have the patience to wait for it, and you can pay for it about five or 10 times over, you know, and it's really, uh, I do not at all recommend you doing that at all. But this woman was not doing that, she was renting her refrigerator. And uh, I, I don't remember how I found out about it, but she was in our church and, um, and she was going to pay us some insane amount of money. I can't remember. By the time it was done, it was just, I mean, basic refrigerator. And it was going to cost her like $2,000. I did the math with what her payments were. And I thought, this is horrible. So Susan and I, we wrote a check and we paid her refrigerator. 
Um, and she was floored and shocked, but I was trying to obey what Scripture says. I had the money, could do it. I didn't have to take out a loan. I was, had food in my stomach and cared for, and we wrote a check to take care of it, to save her all kinds of money. That's the stuff that John's telling us that we need to be willing to do. When we see others in need, we need to be willing to do that. Now, I'll tell you a secret. It's easier to write the check than it is to receive the check. A lot easier. If we're really doing what this says, we need to not only be on the giving end, we need to be on the receiving end. It's humbling to receive. I remember a day that I shared, I was pastoring that church, and there was something just, there was a season of ministry that was so busy and all my kids were little, so I didn't have slave labor. I couldn't send them, you know, anyone out to mow the lawn. And I hadn't mowed my lawn in two weeks. I mean, it was like jungle growing out there to the degree that, oh, well, we just, you know, we'll mow it next spring when it's lower. And I shared something like that. And I went home that afternoon after two services, and it was a really busy season of life and ministry. And I was, it was tough for me to see two people in our church out there mowing my lawn. I was deeply humbled because I felt like that's my job, you know. I wasn't actually asking anybody to do it. I was just talking about the stresses and how difficult it was life, and I didn't even have time to mow my lawn. That was swallow hard, humble kind of thing. Well, John's telling us that we ought to have such a relationship with one another as God's children that it's okay for that to happen back and forth. Not enabling, not, you know, creating a system that, you know, people aren't being responsible in their life. But we should do that. Now, if we really are in a world where this is normal for us, it means a couple of things. It means we're open enough with each other to be real, and we're close enough to see what's going on. Notice the Bible says see. It uses that word, right? In verse 17, if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, it means that you're in a relationship close enough. You're either in that person's house or you're with them enough, they don't tell you the need, you see it. It's obvious. So you and I, it means that for us, church isn't enough for us to show up and sing some songs and to you know, praise God and to study the Bible together. There's a level of relationship here that's real. When you live in the same house as one another, don't you see stuff? You see stuff you probably don't want to see, right? <laughs> you know stuff you probably don't want to know. Uh, and it happens. And I assure you, with lots of people in my house, there's all kinds of stuff that we know about each other. You just you can't get away from each other. That's kind of what's going on here, that you're together enough that you see stuff and you know stuff and you love each other and are willing to help each other, willing to, to give of your time, your energy, your effort, your money, your know-how, your whatever, and you're willing to even to receive that. It takes a level of openness, a level of transparency, and a closeness in relationship. Increasingly, uh, we live in a world that struggles with genuine relationships with one another because we're all about image management. I want to make sure I maintain this really good image that looks like I got life put together and everything's great. And I'm not saying that we should all walk around just, oh, my life's falling apart. But there ought to, we ought to move way beyond just that image management that we can just be honest and genuine and that we have those relationships, and in the middle of that, God says, my love should flow among you. You see, none of us are put together enough and have it figured out enough and self-sustaining enough that we're completely autonomous and don't need anybody around us. We want to live that way. But at the core of it is really pride. 
At the core of it, we don't want to need anybody, owe anybody, anything else. And it's opposite of what God says. No, you needed me. And because you need me, one of the ways that I'm going to provide for you and help you is by putting other people around you and community together with you because you need them too. So my love by design is to flow into the middle of that. Remember Adam? He was there alone on the earth. And God said, it's not good for a guy to live alone. He needs a helper. He's clueless. He needs some help. So he gave Eve to Adam. We're still in that world. We still need one another. So the measure of that love should be for you and for me, sacrifice, voluntarily, practical, giving that which we could use, but that somebody else needs more. And that should be the the way of life. Now, the cool thing about this, if you don't see the other person that has a need, you're not accountable for it. There's so many needs in the world, and if you don't see them, you're okay. But when you do, we're responsible to respond. Third thing about love being so important to the core of our faith, it's the mark of our salvation. It's Jesus' death on that cross. That's the, his, that is the mark of God's love saving us when we put our faith and trust in Him. And that should be the core of our relationship, the gospel relationship of love for one another. But when we do that, I want you to notice that the assurance that that love, when it flows out of us, that assurance of our salvation that it brings. Look in verse 19, and I'm done with this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. What's the this? By the fact when we love one another and we're giving of the, what we have to the benefit of other people, we'll know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. When that love flows out of you, it, it, I don't understand it, but it does something that when you know that you know that you know you're not doing it for show, you're not doing it for pride, you're not trying to get anything, that you just genuinely are loving somebody. That's what love really is. It's not manipulation. It's not, well, if I do this for you, then you're going to think this of me. If I do this for you, then I get to earn this back. That's not love. Love is freely given, not just an emotion. It, it, that's a part of it. But it's more than that. It's emotion that turns into action. And when we do that freely and give of that, there is something supernatural and spiritual of our heart that reassures us that we really have been changed, that there is a God in heaven, that His love is inside of us and has changed us because we're not living in that corrupt world, that dog-eat-dog world of everybody get their own and make sure you've got your way and you get what's for yours and, and you work your own way and all of that. In fact, it's the opposite. He says, when you are in that world, when I have given to you, and you love in such a way that you're just passing that on through to somebody else, there is an assurance in our soul because we know that's not us. That's the love that we have from God flowing inside of us, and it creates a, an assurance of our salvation. There is just an abiding security and awareness, no anxiety, no anxiousness, no worry, no doubts. It brings such assurance to us. What that means is sometimes if we're struggling with the assurance of our salvation, it might be that we aren't loving too much that we're just busy thinking it's all about us and on the receiving end. And John says, look, if you love and you give of yourself, it does something amazing inside of you. It gives you a, an assurance before the God of heaven that He loves us. 
Now, I want to be careful. Sean, are you saying that only Christians really love? No, I'm not saying that. I am saying, though, that when people do love others and they don't know Christ, they're doing it because they're made in the image of God. They're doing it not because they're really good people. They're doing it because they are people who are made in the image of a creator who is a loving, personal God. And they're doing it because there is still a vestige in every person, and it's natural for that love to flow. But I am saying that it goes up a million times once we know Jesus. Once we really surrender our life, most people are loving in some areas of their life to some people and in some ways. And what God does when he saves us, it changes all of that. It's we love in every way, and that love flows indiscriminately, and it goes on steroids and a million times over. That's what God does. And when our love is flowing like that, it assures us in our own heart that there is something that special that God has done, that he has saved us. And it just, it's an amazing what that does to give us a, a confidence in our walk with him. And it goes on to say this, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, and sometimes our heart does condemn us, oh, I don't really know, is everything okay? Here's a cool promise. God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. You see, assurance of our salvation isn't based in our feeling. It's based in the factual, historical reality that God loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us. And when we have truly surrendered our life to him, that salvation is real, regardless of whether you feel it or not. Have you ever taken a test, students, and you walk out of there like, oh, I don't have a good feeling about this. Oh, this was not good. And then you get back here like, oh, wow, I did awesome. I crushed it. And even without a curve, you know, your feeling is never, is rarely an accurate picture of reality. That's what God's telling us. When some reason you're in your heart and aren't feeling it, don't lose sweat about it. Don't get yourself all worked up into an anxious anxiety attack, panic attack. God's bigger than your heart. And your salvation is secured in Him. It's completely in Him. And he goes on, he says, And whatever we have, it gives us confidence. Verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. Notice this. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. You get that one command with two parts. What does God require of you and me? According to this, very simple. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord. In other words, surrender and submit yourself before His authority that He is now in charge of your life. You are no longer in control. You are no longer in charge of what's saying what is right and what's wrong and what you should do or not do in life. You are submitting yourself before the Holy God of Heaven and says, you're, there's only one opinion that matters and it's not mine, it's yours, God. You are putting yourself, believing, putting your whole hope and future and surrendering all that you are before Jesus is Lord of your life. And if you really are doing that, the natural outflow is love. Loving one another. One commandment with two parts, to truly love one another. That's what God's whole expectation is, that there is a special abiding love for us. Looking at the, our three little parts here, we're told to love the world. But when you look at the Bible and the New Testament in particular, 
there is to be a special love that we have for one another that's more than even just indiscriminately in the world around us. It goes to a whole nother level when it comes to us as family because we truly are family in that sense. We've been adopted into God's family. We are together in this. And he says, that is a natural outflow of who you are. And whoever keeps this commandments abides in God and God in him. When we have that relationship with Jesus and he's our Lord and that love is flowing, we abide in him and he abides in us. There is just an amazing connection relationship that we live our life day in and day out with. Guys, there's stability and freedom in this. There is such safety and security, such love, such assurance of our tomorrow and the next day and the next day in front of us, such acceptance, such freedom and removal of shame and guilt and death. What God's telling us is, the best thing we could do for ourselves is to love other people sacrificially. Because when we're living in this realm, you and I experience more and more of that joy and that grace, and it changes our life dramatically. That's why when we talk about being a people of life change, this is a strategy, this is a plan. It's not complicated, but love Jesus and as you love Jesus, you experience more and more His love and His change in your life. And as you reorient your life around Him, love one another as the church. And when we do that, that it produces such an amazing change in our soul. It's so many things that used to be issues for us in the past and attitudes and feelings and thoughts and behaviors all begin to wash away because of His gospel that just so dramatically changes us. And then when we turn around and we love people outside of our own, our own faith community and we love the communities around us, whether school or work and whether around the world, that continues to change us. So this morning, as we think about transitioning into our Lord's Supper and our, our team gets ready to come up here in just a minute and lead us through this next time of worship, I want to challenge you. Where is your love? When was the last time that you consciously did something that was sacrificial for somebody else? We're all busy. We all lead busy lives. But according to this, sacrifice should be as normal to us as God's children as breathing is. It should be acceptable. And the nature of sacrifice is, is you sacrifice without expecting anything in return. So. If you've got to think really, really far back before you've done anything to genuinely love somebody else in your Christian family, then you might want to be praying, God, would you help me to genuinely love people? And God, I'm not sure I'm crazy about this sacrifice thing. I'm not either. <laughs> but God, would you help me? Would you give me an opportunity? Would you put something in front of me? Would you help me to be an expression of your love to that other person? See, that's what God wants. It's, a, it's as if that love keeps flowing of that sacrifice, just keeps multiplying. Over. What do we call it today? Pay it forward, right? Jesus basically is telling us he wants us to pay this forward. He died on the cross, and he expects you and I to come behind him and keep loving and sacrificing for one another. Maybe there's something else that you've thought about this morning. Maybe you've really never surrendered your life to Christ. I challenge you in the minute when our team comes up here to, 
to really spend some time asking God where you really are. And as we step into this, this time with the Lord's table, this is meant to be an act of worship for us. It's meant to be us celebrating that sacrifice that God has for us. But I want us to make the connection today. It's, it's, not a very, it's not a far step at all. In fact, it's right there that the very sacrifice that this table represents, the, the juice representing the blood of Christ, the bread representing His body that He voluntarily freely gave for us, we're taking that in symbolically. This is not what saves us of our sin. It's merely a testimony. It's a statement that we already have surrendered our life to Him. But it's also a statement saying that I've accepted His love and therefore I'm taking responsibility to show that love with others. So I want you to worshipfully think about what God has done for you, thinking about those around you because we celebrate this together in that love relationship we have. So let me pray. Our team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a response time. It's a time for you to think through your own salvation. If you know Christ and have truly surrendered to Him, we invite you to celebrate with us. If you really aren't sure if you've ever really surrendered to Christ, then you're probably better off just letting this pass um, and just bowing your head and praying and spending some time talking with God. But let me pray and we'll continue in our worship. Lord, thank you for the love that you have shed for us in the blood of your son, Jesus. And God, it's some easy for us to complicate the Christian life. And it's so easy for us to pass by the simple things. Lord, this message this morning in John is simple to understand, but it is not simple to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people, each one of us, that truly loves one another, that truly sacrifices, truly gives. Lord, help us to be known by that and not to be known by so many of the other things that we could be most famous for. Help us to truly love you, to truly love one another, and to, to love the world at large around us. Lord, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. We worship and we honor him today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.